Welcome back to the Hot Take Show, where the takes are mild and the box office is freezing cold. Non-existent, it's, really. It's a it's a dead zone. For uh... actually, I mean, I guess it's not as much because the theaters are technically back now. Uh, so we're, oh, I'm we're about get... to see Bill and Ted. I forget it's this soon. It is. That's right. It kind of snuck up. Well, I guess that's what happens when time becomes a vortex and the days blend into each other, you know? So down in the deep south, does that mean you get to actually go to Bill and Ted or are you doing on demand? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if, if it gets any later, the uh, Halloween Horror Nights can start. I can just see the live show. I'm just... um, I will probably, uh, I'll probably try to see an actual theater thing, but it'd probably be uh, a drive away. Let's just say. Okay. Yeah, I still, even even though theaters are open, I still would not recommend to people to go to theaters as much as they miss them, uh, because they're cesspools of germs, and you're you're certain to catch COVID there. Uh, David, I'm from the South, and if there's <laughs> anything you can learn from the South by looking at coronavirus statistics, it's that I can I'm not afraid to go outside, even <laughs> in spite of the dangers to my health. I mean, they say ignorance is bliss, but... <laughs> it seems like I'm aware and I'm okay, which is the problem. <laughs> I'm just kidding, y'all. Uh, I just don't see people. I hide in a room all day, and I have no pre-existing conditions. So I'm going to wear a hazmat suit, and then I'm going to watch Keanu Reeves, and I think his name is Alex Winters. Alex Winters, That's right. His yeah. name? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to see them rock out, I assume, one final time. If there's yeah. a Bill and Ted four, I I may not be there. <laughs> at, at some point, you got to stop. I think three is a good stopping point in any series. It uh, feels like a trilogy. Bill and Ted always felt like a trilogy, so it's appropriate. Yeah, so I'll I'll be excited to get that review from you, and just generally have you more back in the fold of uh, the film side of the site. Of course, we do love you and uh, Pavlos's uh, biweekly video game podcast but also you know thank you for coming back on this podcast as well it's it's good to have you here wait bro. which podcast is this again this this one is the the, the uh, movie hot one. takes oh i thought oh. we were changing it to hot takes oh yeah i guess we're we're pivoting to to hot takes all the time central what do you guys got do you guys have the hot takes i'm the guess? guest the host goes first i need to hear some hot takes. well thanks for coming on brogan <laughs> <laughs> it's a good week talk to you guys next time uh, uh, so this week we brought Rogan on, especially for Batman, because he is the Batman guy on the site. He's been pigeonholed into this role. Yeah, um, I didn't even I didn't even know I was pigeonholed until this week, where it was more just like the Batman trailer dropped, and then immediately was like, "Hey, Rogan, how about Batman?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay." It was funny though. Um, to be fair, well, I'm excited. So- one of your biggest articles on the website is still like an entire breakdown of Prince's contribution to the, the Batman film. So uh, I think this this is kind of, you know, at your own doing. It happened. I'm okay with it deep down. And uh, I guess I'm excited to take, talk about it in the later half of the podcast. Well, what do we have going on right now? Uh, before then, we're going through Fantasia, uh, the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, although it's uh, it's virtual this year. Um, everything's virtual, and uh, they've never done it this way. So it's a huge accomplishment just to get anything like this off the ground and organized. Um, I've really? already watched about 20 movies. So. And really, when you think about it, Montreal is more of a state of mind than a place. So. That's true, yeah. Um, Montreal, and I am an honorary Canadian, at least this week. Um, I, I've been through so much, I don't even know where to start. Should I start with some <laughs> documentaries? Yeah, just uh, let's, let's spot off a couple, maybe not all of them. Okay, Clapboard Jungle, excellent look at the making of um, indie productions and how film markets operate at film festivals. Um, we could look at Feels Good Man, which is a documentary about uh, Pepe, the... Hey, the- uh, Pepe, I believe we call him the the now uh, alt right frog meme. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's very philosophically interesting about how your art could be taken by other people and what that means when they add va- value to it in a market. Um, and it's about this guy trying to win back the meaning of his art. So uh, it's not it's not quite as sus as it sounds. Um, it's a lot of fun actually. Uh, Hail to the Deadites, which uh, I, I love Evil Dead. We all love Evil Dead here. Evil um, Dead. I was, I was going to ask as well, I guess this is appropriate. Uh, bro, 
You love Evil Dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> the spot. Short do, answer, yes. Do you want to come and talk about Evil Dead in October? Sure. You're All right. just formally yeah, inviting me on the podcast. Well, then I got to say yes. I I, I just It'd be I've been if I said no. Yeah, that would kidding. that would be that would be awkward, wouldn't it? <laughs> In fact, it's, it's I like quit. The jumbotron, where where like you propose and then the person's like, oh, uh, maybe. Let me think about it. There's a. It talks about your Evil Dead musical, David, but only for like mm. half a minute. It doesn't even get into like the remake and the Showtime show. So there's that's, a lot of ground left over here. That's pretty crazy. Can I can I briefly? talk about how much i love evil dead the musical again yeah, yeah because it's nice. it's so funny and uh i i really hope they're still touring when the world opens up again uh because i need you to come see it with me calvin because oh, it, it was genuinely one of the most hilarious live performances I've ever seen we're uh, gonna do it man they day. take they take the absurdism up to like 11 in it at times like there there's a whole bit with like people is is the trees they do like a riff even on the most <laughs> horrific part of the original film of like the the raping tree which you know like sam raimi now has conflicted feelings about and it's like these these guys in tree costumes with giant dildos on their arms <laughs> like waving them around in her face and, and i just you, know, you, you get like covered in blood in right? oh it's great it's great and i and i love every minute of it and you know it's it's like a participatory show as well they had like these these giant packs at one point they bring out for the finale with uh blood like like you it's know great. kind of uh, i mean how participatory is the tree rapes not not as participatory but there was at one point where they threw a uh filled condom into the audience so oh, not... <laughs> filled with what is the question <laughs> not, you're not selling uh, me i'm you, sorry you, you know i wasn't the one who got hit by this projectile condom so i couldn't tell you if the contents were legitimate or not but uh, I, I got the feeling that they weren't, that it wasn't semen that was being thrust into the, the audience. I mean, I, I think, I mean, how many times do they do that in a day? You know what I mean? Like that would be exhausting if you were the, the semen in a condom guy. Like that's a brutal production job. That was, it was a great joke because it was like during like this like more balladic number by one of the the girls in the front, and then in the background you have the jockey guy like going at it with one of the, the girls, and you can hear them screaming in the background, and that's when he runs out with the condom and chucks it in the audience. <laughs> I think it's bold for an entire play to or an entire musical to alienate a specific <laughs> audience member for the sake of the rest of the audience. I love it. <laughs> more shows should be so bold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, um, so, sorry for that uh, detour, Calvin. What, what are oh, those great. do we have? <laughs> it's right on subject, and it doesn't really get a lot around to much else other than like fans at uh, fan conventions for Evil Dead. And, uh, How does a Bruce lot more. Campbell feel about fans? Well, he doesn't feel very good about them in this movie. <laughs> he Ooh. says they're socially awkward and they sit in lines and don't know how to talk to people. Uh, so that's yeah. rough. It seems... Uh... I, I guess about right for Bruce Campbell from what I understand about him, but it, he, yeah. he seems uh, amicable to the fans generally, if not yeah. like warmly embracing them. But I don't know. I mean, there's, it could be worse. You could be like William Shatner, I guess. Yeah, it could be sardonic too. Like there's also a bit where he pays for a fan to come and see him. So, I mean, he he also loves the fans. Yeah. Um, I, I also saw for documentaries, Class Action Park coming out on HBO a uh, day after this releases. I just fucking love theme parks. I, I like the exploration of it. It was submitted to Fantasia with a really bad audio mix, which uh, at least four or five of the things I have noted right here have horrible audio mixes uh, at festivals. Sometimes the sound mix isn't all, always there. So HBO will clean that up in a week. But uh, otherwise, uh, I like it more than the Johnny Knoxville action park movie. You know, action park is such a... Uh hilarious and uh horrific story that uh i don't care how many times it gets retold and how many different mm -hmm. mediums i think it's just worthwhile to continue to retell because it is just like the epitome of reckless abandon we will get an episode at one point where we go through our love of theme parks and get very specific maybe like pirates of the caribbean and then don't discuss the movie yeah uh, I'm, I'm not opposed to that at all uh wait wait y'all i have to this is this is the moment my favorite theme park ride in in terms of like movie licensed you know big production theme parks 
is the mummy at Universal Studios. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, okay, hold on. So we've got to stop the show because I have a, uh, to talk about my mummy, the ride story at Universal. Oh, no. uh, so I, I went there a couple years back. Was it maybe more than a couple years? I'm old now. Um, and I have a perpetual fear of heights in particular. And uh, for those who have been on the mummy ride, they'll be very confused by why I'm mentioning that. Uh, but in the line, in the queue for the mummy, there are, there are warning signs that say that there are sudden drops throughout. <laughs> now, as someone who is afraid of heights, I don't like that term, sudden drops. That's, that's a, you know, anxiety-inducing for me. So when I, when I get on the ride and it starts going real fast, I don't know when these sudden drops are going to come. So my eyes just like close really tight like throughout and, and I'm, I'm i'm closing it the whole time and i'm going you know and, it, and it's going real fast and i'm waiting for it to come and then the ride stops and th there was no real sudden drop like i was thinking <laughs> and i missed the entire ride i didn't even know that it went backwards <laughs> that's, sad. that's so sad i think a jaws might be my favorite tie-in right it's it's so much fun. It's so, so well themed around the movie too. I've I've only gotten to see videos of uh, of it because it closed before I ever got the chance to go to the Jaws ride. But we have a book here sitting like on our coffee table of the you know like a history of the the Jaws ride at Universal. Uh, okay. Because my my fiance is huge theme park nut, and you know there's like a bajillion books about Disneyland sitting on our shelf as well. Oh, cool. So I'll have a lot to add to a theme park you know, discussion sometime when we inevitably do that. My favorite thing about the Jaws ride, the Hitchcock contributing his voice and then saying he wouldn't meet uh, Steven Spielberg because yeah. he, he didn't want it. He felt like he was a, a whore for him or something. He, he felt like, Hitchcock felt like he was a sellout. Right, exactly. So he wouldn't meet Spielberg, who, you know, you'd think it would go the other way. That's why I love that Hitchcock. He'll twist that on you. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, uh, that's a lot of documentaries. Um, we could get to some more next week. I don't want to pack this all in. Um, geez, what can I still talk about? Uh, Mortuary <laughs> Collection is like, a, it's like the creep show movies and it's very well produced uh, indie style. And uh, the short films are a lot of fun. There's one that's like the babysitter murders, which is like the Halloween ripoff. And there's like a sex revenge story and uh, a lot of frat house stuff in there. It's a lot of fun. And um very different than the outcomes I usually have with these short things. Uh, it was also at the festival last year, so uh, not a huge new development there. Uh, people already like it and still like it. Um, uh, let's let's get to the rest of these next week because I have a I have a huge list and wanted to spread it out a bit. Yeah, we've been dry for movies for a long time, and you don't want to blow your load all at once. No, uh, I'll save these. The <laughs> We're, we are starving. Especially this week, because David's seen the the first new movie of the year for him. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I've seen a couple of them. We did a podcast talking about the Five Bloods a little while ago. That was a new one. But yeah, That's generally, true. generally, uh, David no watchy the new movies. But um, <laughs> after hitting a slump of writing, I said, uh, Calvin, please force me to do new movies because uh, I, I have no self motivation anymore. <laughs> And, and so I, I gave you one on nudity. Uh, yeah, which is which is perfect because I love nudity. Uh, nudity <laughs> is is wonderful. <laughs> I like to say it's the cheapest and best special effect there is in movies. It's true, although I feel like you're quoting someone else. I probably am. <laughs> but no, this was a actually a fantastic uh, start for me because not only is it about nudity, it's about nudity in the, the movies. It's called uh, Skin. A history of nudity in the movies. So it's literally talking about every time, like when you were a kid, you just wanted to pause or repeatedly rewind a moment in the movie. I think what's interesting is that the it opens with a couple of people talking about the first time they experienced watching nudity in a movie, and it made me think back. And at first, I couldn't recall, but then I did recall, and then I felt shame. <laughs> what was it? Uh, you know, it was probably something you could expect. It was uh, hanging out at a friend's house and the, the older friends who, you know, whose parents let them access the VHS tapes uh, brought over a copy of Revenge of the Nerds. Okay. So I, 
I experienced, uh, uh, you know, nudity for the first time there. Then uh, during the film, I had to make a quick trip to the bathroom and came back a different person. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Journey of discovery. You guys remember the first time you saw nudity in a movie? I think it was my dad, like, accidentally renting a hentai movie because he didn't know there was another classification of anime. So there was a rape scene, and I was about four. Uh, after that, he pretty much went no holds barred with the horror movies. And so I saw a lot of it growing up. Um, th- this was a prompt ungiven to me before the, before the recording. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, I probably, I, when I was a kid, I... My parents used to be the uh, uh, cover your eyes type of parents. Um, they'd let me see the movie, but if there was something bad and they were with me, they'd cover my eyes. Um, the, the, the stuff I would see would probably be when I got to see movies by myself or with older people that weren't my parents. So like my uncles or what have you, or my sister or what have you, which is weird in its own way, but you know, that, that's mm-hmm. most likely what happened. I think it's worth uh, destigmatizing a little more and talking about because I think as the the documentary kind of shows that it is uh, pervasive. Nudity has always been a fixation of the movies, uh, literally since its inception. Um, you know, some of the the earliest films, like it's basically as soon as people got their hands on cameras, they started shooting naked people. And it wasn't until uh, the more puritanical enforcement of censorship uh, in the 1940s uh, in 50s that we got this idea that nudity shouldn't be in movies and then once that crumbled in the late 60s then nudity was everywhere again uh and and i think the best the documentary has to offer insight on is a lot of the early hollywood uh nudity that you're probably generally unaware of everyone knows i think about the influx of uh exploitation films and nudity through films like the graduate and uh blow up and such uh you know in the 1960s and how that evolved but people probably aren't as aware of uh cecil b demille films that you know were instrumental in uh enraging um you know the 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 censorships and to bring that on to the the studios what was the cultural influence and historical relevance of porkies <laughs> you know, I I wish they had gone into that a little bit more because in in the beginning when it is a lot of the older Hollywood stuff, they do talk a lot more about the behind the scenes and how that changed things and stuff and set the standard. But uh, l- less they talk about like Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds and during the '80s era, they they do have uh, a nice, a, ver- a very good talking head with uh, Amy Heckerling, the director of fast times at Ridgemont high and she gives uh, some nice insight onto the the filming of that stuff the famous moment with uh, phoebe cates where she takes off her uh bikini in, in that film and stuff but she also talks about how the the studios forced her to cut down the sex sequence with the uh, um jennifer jason lee's character so that there was no male nudity shown because that would have got them an x rating at the time which uh, kind of reveals the hypocritical nature of nudity in movies. Right. Though, uh, like, my biggest issue with the film was that it, it kind of dances around the, you know, the tougher subject matter of the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, not only the hypocritical nature, but uh, the, you know, the pressures and, you know, the, the forcement uh, and, you know, stuff of behind-the-scenes of women to participate in nude scenes. Um, and just to go with it and like, oh, it's not a big deal and stuff. And then, you know, the even bigger, polit- you know, kind of uh, social political entanglement behind that when it comes to, you know, uh, like the recent Me Too movement and such, which the film brings up, but doesn't really like deal with, you know? Um, yeah, I I feel like there's a lot there, but that's still like a developing story too. Like that, We're still like in the history of it. Um, there's so many more places it will go, I think, before we're fully there. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's a documentary that is worth checking out. I think it's just important to bring your own context to it as well and understand that it's not as thorough as it should be, though uh, it does have a major undertaking in just tackling more than 100 years of nudity in film to begin with. So Absolutely. Worth, worthwhile endeavor, but I'd say there's a, a major oversight that uh, I think is, is a little irresponsible on the part of the filmmakers. Yeah, I may still check it out. Always. I, I would recommend it still. 
I remember like coming into like high school. It was like the time like Mr. Skin being founded. So he, he's in like, it. He's in it. Oh, he is. Okay. He, he's actually a producer on the film. So so it is called Skin for uh, a related reason. I was yeah. wondering about that. Uh, that was it was like the perfect time though, because you're like very curious about these things, and then suddenly you have a document of every scene of nudity. So you go to Blockbuster with that in hand, right? Mm-hmm. With something in hand. Uh, uh, further on docs, we're hitting a lot of docs this week, but we have uh, Pretending I'm Superman, which is a Tony Hawk pro skater documentary, literally about the development of the video game and the cultural influence that had on skating culture as a whole. I do appreciate that lately Tony Hawk has just like embraced becoming a meme so much more on the internet, uh, and he still seems like a very wholesome person, but also very aware of what a positive impact he had on an entire generation who looked up to him not only as a great sports person but also like a video game pioneer (laughs) there were like those early video games like 720 and skate and die where it made skateboarding a thing in like the video arcades but it felt like there was still something tangibly you could do to connect it to skating a little bit more so getting like all the tricks in there and everything um, i think bro probably has an interesting perspective on this do I? Yes, I do. Um, I, I, the thing I like about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, um, they, they'll, they tried to merge it later on. It, it had a troubled history as far as a franchise goes, but um, in particular, that Inception, the first few titles are magical in sort of a, an essential arcade way. And because of the sport itself and because of the actual um, activity, like it provides a unique gameplay experience that you can't replicate on anything else other than skating on a board and that's like a really fun thing to show off style to do tricks to uh do outlandish things and it's sort of uh it's it's just a fun experience and then it also encapsulates uh skater culture of the time it has an amazing soundtrack i'm sure i hope they go into the soundtrack uh, definitely documentary or something but I mean, it's named after what, like, the Goldfinger or whatever that band's called. It's named after that song, so I that's see. a big part. So, yeah, no, I mean, I Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, thumbs up for me. It's Daydream cast approved, at least. <laughs> I- so, I, my favorite anecdote is that they never stopped, of course, we're developing Apocalypse with Bruce Willis right before. So, uh, their early test footage they showed Tony was uh, just Bruce Willis on a skateboard with a machine gun on his back. So... Uh, that's, that's what he got to play as his test for the game. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to sign off on this. This is badass. Like, yeah, I, that. I like the bonus characters. Like, I like Spider-Man. Spider-Man's yeah. in them. Uh, Darth Maul. Boba Fett. They're, you know, they're all great. This it's is, pretty rad. Great. Uh, my favorite Tony Hawk is Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 on the Game Boy, though. Uh, the Game Boy Advance. Uh, it doesn't even touch on the best of the series, honestly. I've uh, I've never played the Game Boy Advance ones. Yeah, Tony Hawk's same. Pro Skater 2 or Tony Hawk's Underground are my most fond memories. It's interesting to me because it's like a distillation of everything. Still has the music, still has every level, but it's isometric. And it that new perspective, they still got everything in. Uh, of course, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, just on its own, on Dreamcast, was one of my most played games. I can't recall personally which one like would have been my favorite. They all, all kind of blended together in my adolescent mind. Uh, but I, I imagine it's probably Pro Skater 2. There's a 2, two somewhere in there. <laughs> 2 added, what, like manuals, and then 3, you get reverts and everything. So there's always like a mechanical change that feels significant to like building the progress. Up until 4, then they kind of ran out of, you know, mechanics that apply. At that point, they might as well just hung a sign that said, go skateboarding for real. It does get to the point where they're, like, trying to do the peripherals, and it doesn't make any sense. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, we had no Yeah, it was like Activision and Guitar Hero got really big. So, right. like, they, they must have just assumed, hey, you know, this will sell, and it did not. Yeah, they admit that. They're just like, we were in, like, a plastic peripheral phase, and that's what led to that, and it didn't do any good. Which was interesting because it was like kind of based initially around those uh, Sega arcade games. <laughs> you just like stand on the board and you'd have the uh, uh, handhelds to hold on to, and it was kind of around like the top skater line. And there, there were games like that, and that's kind of the origin of uh, Tony Hawk style because they started with like downhill development, then just realized everyone just wants to skate around a warehouse. 
how does uh, the documentary end? Does it end on Tony Hawk's first day or one? I think it. I think it gets to like uh, probably Project Eight or something. I mean, it gets into like the later parts and. Okay. Okay. It, it doesn't get. It doesn't quite get to like an advertisement of this one that's coming out in two or three weeks, but that's what it is. I'm actually glad it's not an advertisement. No, that, yeah, that, that would be terrible. <laughs> I mean, it it doesn't feel like self-critical or anything. It's just about the importance of it and interviews all the skaters in the game. Uh, uh, my boy Jamie Thomas. I was a big Zero fan. I did a lot of skating. So. That's right. You're from Seattle. I forget. <laughs> it all makes sense. This all adds up. It, it all it all kind of chips away at a greater history of Calvin that we're still uh, trying to learn about. <laughs> the one where he identifies with everything in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's the entire identity. Uh, I'm waiting for Calvin to one day evolve into his final form of a great big pine tree. <laughs> I I heard there was a cool trailer out this week with some Nirvana music in it. Yeah, that's like. <laughs> That's a the segues we're gonna get. That's a segue. Hey, <laughs> I actually I, ju- I just sat down and watched it because I I prefer watching the the infighting from the outside. Generally, uh, I guess I'm more in the in the middle of this, so I, I'd like to hear your guys' opinions a little bit more. I don't know that much about the drama, so someone explain to me the drama, and someone give someone else give the context. From my understanding, the drama is largely this drama that you come to expect whenever DC releases a new thing. There's a giant faction of people who are like, this is the most amazing fucking thing ever. This is exactly what we've been asking for. And right. then an, an equally you know, uh, loud side that is like, God, this is the same bullshit over and over again. It's stupid and dumb and tired and it's bloated, you know, superhero crap. It's lame. And, and it's it's a lot of those same voices just bickering at each other as they have been for uh, what like going on fifteen years now. Eons <laughs> for eons. Um, I guess to start with my opinion on it, uh, yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. Is it tiring and exhausting to see the same sort of regurgitated thing? Yes, definitely the same tone, same whatever. On the other hand. The trailer looks good. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, the actors are really good, and I think that's enough for me to get in there and R-rate a Batman. I like what Rob Pattinson's saying about what you can do with the character with an R rating. Um, I'm I'm not like the hugest fan of Seven, and it looks like Seven plus Batman, so I, I don't know. I think it'll be good anyway. The, the one thing that that promises is the idea of a more of a detective angle going forward, mm-hmm. which is what people have kind of been clamoring for for a little while. I do wish it was less intensely gritty gothicness because, you know, yeah. like you're limiting the scope of Batman's potential so much by continually trying to ground him in realism. Uh, but, you know, at, at the same time, there are some interesting ideas here. There might be finally a worthwhile uh riddler you know on the screen to to kind of go for as an adversary whoa, oh all right all right i know i know <laughs> i know hold on to that pin it for now <laughs> okay great uh though this one does appear to also have the issue of uh too many villains again because we're, we're hitting a, a threefer here with a uh, penguin and uh catwoman as well uh I, I think we should stop doing catwoman in batman movies for a little while i agree um <laughs> uh, i I think there was a lot else from like the fandom fandom of it. Um, there was uh, also like the Justice League thing and the Wonder Woman. Right. At least this looks new to me. Um, Suicide Squad also looked very comic booky, which I'm into. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't I actually look at that one. In terms of excitement, I would yeah. rank it. Yeah, I would put this the Batman at the top. I would. I'm also excited for Suicide Squad. Uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad. I think I would. I think it will legitimately be good. Um, and then Wonder Woman would be my next one, which yeah. would be like, uh, you know, I'll see it. I'll probably have a fun time. I don't know if I'll recommend it to people, but I'll, man, I'll see anything. And then uh, Justice League <laughs> is going to be Zack Snyder's Justice League. And you get, <laughs> you get what's on the label. Was know? the Hallelujah thing a troll? Or, or does he seriously, does he mean it when he puts that in there? Um. I think he legitimately <laughs> likes Leonard Cohen. 
Oh, uh, we all this do. This is going to sound right? really weird, but Leonard Cohen's been in like most of his films. I know. I, I mean, it's been used, and I. I mean, Hallelujah is a very overused track, but even in Justice League even had uh, Leonard Cohen. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I don't know how to feel about it, but is it yeah, is it like a pointed jab at that having Leonard Cohen in it as well? I don't I don't think he has the the ability for like pointed critique like okay. that or satire. Like, did you see that tweet of him saying that this is a film for an adult film? Yeah, <laughs> he he is secretly just an edgy muscle head that yeah. likes the fact that Batman punches. Him. It's it's not a very well kept secret, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his films don't have a, a lot of internal depth, I don't think. But um, I, it looks better than Justice League. It, it's in four it's, three, so that's interesting. It's not really a compliment. I mean, it's it's the, Here, the most mild. <laughs> you can dislike him, and that's fine. He's not very good. Um, I I think it will be better than the original version of Justice League, if not for the fact that he made it. I you know I wrote like a Snyder. I wrote a there won't be a Snyder cut thing about yeah, right. like a like a few months yeah. ago and how wrong was i i'll, I'll, I'll say this uh i will i will never like disparage the idea of the the dc fan base getting their cut of this like because i think it's obviously something they deserve you know and even if it you know is garbage if it makes them happy and it appeals to them it's not like there isn't a long history of uh worthless cinema that is only exists to you know entertain people yeah. I'm I'm a little bit cautious about them splitting it into four cuts so it'll be episodic on HBO. Um that sounds kinda rough to me, but otherwise I'll watch it. I mean the whole uh, yeah, the whole process sounds rough. Splitting, yeah. Like actual long movies into episodes. I usually don't like it. I like Hateful Eight was a really good example. On Netflix, I hated the split. It just sure. I'd rather in a singular experience. Look, I'm I'm on board with that. Uh, you know, earlier this year, I had the option of watching a seven-hour Russian adaptation of War and Peace over several days, but I said, "Fuck that shit! I'm gonna do it all in one day," and I did, and, and it's very gratifying to do. So I'm all for uh, sitting your ass in one place and consuming all of the thing at once. That they're gonna <laughs> release it like the Irishman in episodic parts. So <laughs> that'll be interesting. In in five-minute segments. <laughs> Um, I, I think I'm I'm least I'm I'm most over what am I trying to say? I'm least interested in probably what they showed of Wonder Woman. It looks like everything else I've basically seen from DC the last ten years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think Wonder Woman will be as good as the last Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Yeah, if maybe. that tells you anything about your opinion. That that sounds like probably in the good tier of or yeah. like decent tier of DC films, which is like. That's that's what's been I think floating it for a little while anyway. I, I would say not offensively bad, and if you like the <laughs> material, good enough. Oh, and and also what's nice again is to see like a a well done representation of of Wonder Woman on the screen for a generation of uh you know women, little girls who want to see their you know their fantasies played out. I think that's a a wonderful thing still to have and. And I won't disparage that either. My daughter's super into it lately. We're doing Wonder Woman cake and everything for her birthday next month or in October. So that'll be good. Uh, and I think it'll be good timing because it comes out in October. Maybe we'll be close to going to theater, but it'll be around and around the culture for her. So it'll be exciting for her. That's awesome. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I think Batman wins out out of everything they showed. I'm excited about Suicide Squad. If we actually saw that, that would probably be it. But uh, I, yeah, I would need a real trailer for Suicide Squad. But that yeah. being said, uh, I, I have high hopes in it. It may be more exciting than the Batman if I saw a trailer. Of course. Um, and, and they showed some games, which I don't know if you guys are talking about, but the, the games look fine. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would agree. The games look fine. Yeah, they look fine. fine. <laughs> That's good enough. Uh, WB Game Division kind of struggling for a while. There's a lot of internal development hell there. So. Well, I mean, they clearly are also passed onto, like, uh executive uh decisions like i am sure this game was like hey we need another arkham game and um rocksteady's not doing that rocksteady's doing suicide squad so like hey I, we want another batman game let's just fucking crank one out baby so like they they pushed on to wb games and uh that's what we're getting it doesn't look bad it just doesn't huh. look looks fine uh, unique 
or interesting or anything like that. Although if their Suicide happen. Squad thing was like in engine, I think that looks pretty damn good. I, I can't confirm that. Is it in engine? Like the hair and everything looks in engine to me. It doesn't look CG at all. I, I have no idea, but from the from the trailer itself, I'm still slightly excited. I think the genre is going to be a little overplayed, but I need to see gameplay before I fully judge it. Uh, yeah. Rocksteady has reinvented genres. Yeah, I mean, they kind of reinvented Batman, like, in the video game space. Kind well, of they, that they reinvented in Brawlers, in a yeah. way, where it was like, you know, being in a room full of a bunch of people. Uh, like, I mean, it's not the only uh, game to do that. Like, Devil May Cry also reinvented it. But, like, it sort of made it into a rhythm, uh, counterattack uh, sort of game. And that's really awesome for Brawlers. So, I like, mean, Rocksteady we're... can find a mold or a niche to fill themselves. They created that like two generations ago, and then PlayStation Five is like launching with Spider-Man. That's in the same mold, right? Like yes. that's that's still a huge influence in the industry. So, Rocksteady's cool. David. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I fell asleep a little bit there. <laughs> what, what were we talking about? Batman, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Batman. Yeah, the the movie for this week. Da 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 da. Or <laughs> I should I should go na 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 na. You know, it, it, the theme song is actually much better than uh, pop cultural reiterations have led me to believe. It's uh, good. <laughs> I, I don't it, know. It plays well as a score in this film. It does. It does. I think it was, it's very good. There's uh, lo- lots of things about it. Uh, I, I I forget just how pervasive things about the, the Batman television show and movie were before watching, like the literal kablams and pows on screen. There's no exaggeration there. Uh, some of the corny. Uh... Well, what's the bro take? I mean, we brought you here to like espouse your. I was I was curious to see Batman. everyone's opinion before I said my opinion. I I personally really really like um, the the '66 film. I like the show. I like the show more than the movie. I agree. But, yeah. Um, but the the movie itself is still really really fun. Um, I think it may be a tad drawn out. Um, there's definitely moments where it's sort of spinning some wheels, but, uh, it's, it's a, for me, it's a joke a minute. Uh, for me, there's always just ridiculous things that I, I enjoy. Uh, the, the plot of the film is that there is a secret evil plan by Gotham's most nefarious. So it's Catwoman, it's Joker, it's Riddler, it's Penguin, it's got it all, baby. And they've, they've kidnapped uh, a person who's invent Commodore Schmidlap, who's invented this device to uh, dehumidify people, and now they're going to hold the world hostage. And only Batman and Robin can save the day. And it's so stupid. <laughs> it's 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 so threadbare, and it becomes very obvious, like three or four plots in, that it really is just like a, a very loose excuse to string together the ideas for like four different episodes. But, you know, it, it's all a vehicle for the, the humor and the, the adventure. I can't tell you how many times they slide down the bat pole. It's, it's a little too many. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. But, I, but, I, love the, I love the joke there, though. It's yeah. funny. No, that, that joke was probably my favorite in the whole film. Like, the first time I saw that, the absurdism. I just loved, like, the, the, the very candid way of, like, solving that problem of, of cutting just, like, instant costume change lever. <laughs> I, uh... I think my favorite joke in it is at at a certain point in time, um, they escaped from a buoy. Um, the the last missile was thankfully uh, they they dodged it thanks to a dolphin, a porpoise <laughs> went into the way of the missile for them, and it was a tragedy. But then they tried to track the war plus submarine, so they called the U.S. Navy, and the U.S. Navy is just playing like a board game. And they go, oh, yes, Batman. Yeah, someone bought a, a submarine from us a week ago. It's P. N. Gwyn. And, and then he goes, did we do something wrong, Batman? Yes. <laughs> it's it's and, a great joke. And, and then, Batman just looks sad. He, he, he chastises the Navy for that, for being so irresponsible. 
The PN Gwyn is really a highlight there. He, I think it's his show. He he shines the most out of the villains here. And the uh, and the fucking submarine is like built like yep. a pigweed. It has the little flippers on the back, which is totally unnecessary underwater for it. For it, it had my fiance in stitches. I would say <laughs> she loved all of the the penguin stuff. Burgess Meredith as the penguin is is pretty so hysterical. Good. Yeah, I think that's my that's my winner for best of the show here. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Burgess. Mer- I think I think the cast is uh all pretty good uh i think they have different levels of how many acting chops they have to do um but burgess meredith does the most and he does a lot i I think it's because he's given the most i I do think it's a shame that uh eartha kit couldn't be here for catwoman uh because she is wonderful and everything uh but who they have here uh lee merriweather i've I've got this so there's technically two The, the person they were expecting was probably uh julie newmar Julie Newmar was the main Catwoman. On the mm. show. Uh, Eartha Kitt was after, I don't know if it was after the movie, but she was after Julie Newmar as well. Lee Merriweather is the one in the film. Right. And she's and very she's good, good as well. Uh, yeah, she she's does good. a weird Russian accent. Yeah. Which kind of puts me off. I, it, it reminded me very much of like, I was like, this is very Bond-ish, isn't it? We were very into overwrought Russian accents in the 60s. Yeah, she may be the weakest out of them. Um, and uh, Joker is played by Cesar Romero, who still uh, did not shave a mustache. Either. Yes, that's so crazy. <laughs> you know, I get it. You know, you're in a TV show. Who cares? It's for children. Don't yeah. shave your mustache. If you're going to be in a movie, <laughs> like, have some have some self-respect. You know? I, I, I thought he was he was great enough and not given enough to do. Like, he did feel sidelined for, for how great he was as the Joker. I imagine you get so much more of a, a sense of how great he is in the, the show. He, he's very manic in the show, and I, I like him too. Um, the, he's overshadowed by Gorshin's Riddler, and yeah, Gorshin's Riddler's almost like the Joker because he just jumps around and laughs and is so manic. Mm. It's it like if you see this film and you see how Gorshin plays it, it makes sense why they cast Jim Carrey in uh, Batman Forever. That Definitely. Sense, yeah. So so here's where we can unpin my earlier comment because I can say that I I thought the Riddler was the weakest of the villains here, and all of the, the the Riddle stuff is just it, it was a little too absurd at times. Like just some of the ridiculous conclusions that came to it. It it was it was frustratingly absurd. I thought. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in terms of plot, Riddler may be the worst. <laughs> in terms of performance, I legitimately like Gorshin's portrayal a lot. Um, I think, I think this film is a mess in terms of villain uh, machinations or villain plots. Certainly, um, Joker definitely has nothing to do. The biggest thing I remember him doing is is delivering tea. Yes. Top That's like the thing. Well, it's really weird what happens like in the in the movie and show like what they reduce the villains to. Like Catwoman's just like uh, go get a dustbin. It's like oh, what's this saying about women in this role? You know, uh, they they need like to hired henchmen to clean shit up for them and put it in vials and stuff. I, that's time that's out. also. I need to complain about something now while we talk about the vials. Okay, okay, let's hear it. Why? <laughs> I, I I can get over a lot of jokes. It's all silly. There's something deep in my brain that triggers me when there's dust everywhere and it's in carpet. And then they take like a dust pan and just scoop it up and have like a fully fledged <laughs> Why have the carpet there? I, I couldn't help but think about that still, like the logistics of it. I'm like, there's no way, like if, if I'm supposed to believe that this pile of ash or dust or whatever is the non-liquid parts of a human being, I can't believe that you got every atom of that into a vial with your little dustpan there, and like you're going to bring this person back with just a bit of water. Like, there's no way you got all of their molecules. <laughs> that is unironically less believable than the shark biting Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great opening, though, isn't it? Where, where it's they, hilarious. They descend from a a labeled bat ladder, and he gets <laughs> attacked by a, a shark. It's one of the the famous moments of the movie that eventually up in gifs all over the internet i think it's like those machinations of like what like a bat tool is that's really fun for me and i think the the most gifable moments so uh it, it'll be this rubber shark and the bomber my two the, favorite the moments bomb the bomb is uh very famous classic so obviously very classic off 
you know, just right out the gate there. I, I like the the repetition of the people as well. Like it's not just that he runs into the woman with the stroller once, but yeah. like twice or three times. <laughs> Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. It's great. I'm sure the Dark Knight Rises Christian Bale Batman would agree. It's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One has to sympathize. How do you feel about the lead? How do you feel about Adam West and Burt Ward? Uh, I think uh, Adam West is uh, pretty great. I think they both like like the biggest thing I was surprised by with the sh- uh, with the, with this here was that it's very self aware in its humor. Like it's not corny because it's like it just inherently and it's and like we're we're making fun of it in terms of camp wise. It is very intentionally that way, and they're playing into that. Unlike something like uh, I, I have a lot more familiarity with uh, the Green Hornet television show which came around the the same time as a response to batman and that one is more self-serious and straightforward yeah i mean it's it's little solid i i like the green hornet but for me batman just goes the the weird mind you know what i mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh the thing i like about adam west's portrayal is it's just little nuances that every time i see it i go that's a thing so what, the thing I noticed this time was I, I see Batman and Robin in the, the, this sort of camp scenario as like children playing dress up and <laughs> Catwoman is sort of like a, uh, it's a figure to challenge that for Batman because Batman's a grown man and he has feelings burgeoning deep down. You know what I mean? And um, so there's a scene where, him and Miss Kitka, Bruce Wayne and Miss Kitka go to a, a penthouse apartment and Robin and uh, Alfred watch on, on the back TV in the car. And um, the, the, the acting thing that I noticed was, was when they start kissing, Bruce doesn't move his mouth or do anything. He stands there like a child would, as if he's <laughs> never kissed someone and it's really, really weird. And it's kind of—I like things like that. It's funny. I, I did think their whole relationship bit was funny. I think mostly because like it was predicated on the fact that they both like understood aspects of like like these plans, but were totally wrong about one another. It like like they didn't know that each other was Batman and Catwoman and what they had figured out. Like, and again, that kind of comes back to them. Like that was the one time one of the Riddler jokes I think worked for me, where they were they realized that they what was it like a banana Russian? I think was like the the code they deciphered. <laughs> Slip on and a they, banana yeah. pill and kill yourself. Uh, yeah. People are always in a hurry. The Russians, those are the riddles. They're bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the subplot is bad. It's probably one of the least necessary subplots. However, it's one of the most creative and uh, engaging. Hmm. I, I'd I, probably cut some Kitka myself. I, I think there's a little too much. I, I don't need that part. Yeah, to me, to me, Catwoman is the the sorest loser here. Uh, and it, it's not to anyone's fault, but I guess the writers. I don't, yeah. I don't blame the actress for this. I, she I, has to say the line perfect <laughs> all the time. It's, yes. I, I think it's no question that, like, structurally, it's, like, a very inept uh, and very clearly just derived from a, you know, like a 20-minute television show. And uh, I think this works as great advertising for that, first and foremost, rather than a competent narrative feature on its own. Um, in my head, this is the greatest uh, Batman narrative ever put to film. <laughs> <laughs> The Dark Knight can try, but it honestly fails. This is my hot take. You were waiting for my hot take for the hot take cast this week. <laughs> I think for me, it's pretty high up there, too. I mean, I have it below a few things, just because Batman has such storied history with movies. But I, I, this is kind of what I want, again. I, I would like this colorful exploration, all this characterization, these fun villains, these, these like flimsy costumes. There's so much charm in that to me. Like, the Riddler costume is really fucking dumb and it's cool mm-hmm. and, and the batman costume it does look like halloween dress up i mean it, it looks like you could invent like a dress up industry around these it, they're, they're so cool 
I, th- I think that's the the biggest thing that that really comes through and shows it's a timelessness in that there there is a way to do Batman that's not this gritty serious grounded version and how this version of Batman has influenced the character in so many different iterations you can see like the 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 seeds of this in iterations like the Tim Burton Batman and absolutely the Joel Schumacher Batmans and the yeah, animated and the animated shows uh, I, I guess that I wanted to, that prompts to ask me as well uh, Bro, did you have any experience with the the animated sequels they did a couple years ago? I did. I have seen both animated sequels. Um, what do you want my opinion on them? Yeah, I'm just curious to know if they're any good worth seeking out. Um, okay, so the first one is sort of just like a callback one. It's it's also a plot that involves multiple villains. Um, there's uh, the biggest uh, subplot thing was Batman going bad. There's sort of like a toxin that makes Batman go uh, mean. So uh, it, it's nice because uh, Adam West actually gets to say some of the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns lines, like the psychopath Batman lines. And it's, it's really weird to hear that. Um, it's, uh, it's sort of a, just a nice, it's just a nice revisit, but it's not particularly impressive or uh, a necessary feature. The second film is more notable and I think slightly more special. It involves a character that was originally going to be in the television series, but was not uh, Two-Face, um, as played by William Shatner. Um, originally, oh. it was going to be in the TV series by Clint Eastwood. Um, mm-hmm. wow. But um, it was, the TV show was written by, or the TV episode was actually written by uh, famed uh, writer Harlan Ellison. Yeah, and, um, I sounds have, great. They, they released a script and uh, a comic based on the episode, and I have that. That's it's a it's a great experience. Um, the movie itself slightly less impressive. Uh, Shatner's good though. I I think Shatner's funny in the role, um, and it's it's overall enjoyable. I would actually recommend the second one over the first. I I think that's interesting as well to bring in uh, uh, Shatner because. Star Trek was basically is you know like ubiquitous at the same time and rose up and so like you're 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 bringing him into the fold it doesn't feel necessarily like a, a modern you know like you're bringing in a modern person to portray the villain there it feels like Shatner very well could have been someone who would have played Two-Face in the original show it was sharp casting I think um yeah that, I, I guess that's all I have to say on that yeah yeah so, like in the in the pantheon of Batman, where where are we placing this overall? First, second. This Batman. Yeah. Uh, number one. Okay, A- Adam was Batman is my favorite Batman number one. I like him a lot. I I'm almost with you. I think I I can't think of another Batman that I'd really prefer to watch. I I, I just enjoy you know Kevin Conroy too much in the animated Batman's. Uh, you know the those series. Uh. They mean a lot to me, and I think they're just so uh, excellently uh, done. And they, they, they ride the line there of you know the kind of more comic book style as well as the serious and gothic uh, vibes of Batman. That I, 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 I think Conroy is probably deserves the most credit for um, the range he's done. He's done it all. He's done the goofy. He's done the the dark. He's done everything in between as far as what you can get away with on a cartoon Batman. And he, he definitely has sort of an icon, an iconic experience to him, especially for the sheer catalog of what he's done. Um, the thing I like about Adam West Batman is it's very pointed. It, it feels like there's a specific effort to it. And he does both Adam West, or he does both Bruce Wayne and Batman well, which I would say to the other portrayals of Batman, most don't do both right. Right, and, and that's I think another... I'm looking. I think I'm looking forward to the Pattinson though. I, he has so much range that I think his ability is way underrated to do this Batman deal. I I think Pat, Pattinson may probably rank, if not top three, maybe best. Or you know what I mean? Like I, think I don't think potential. he'll be Clooney tier. No. <laughs> I think that's almost impossible. No matter how bad the Batman script magically becomes. You know? He's too good, and he's on fire lately. He hasn't yeah. made bad movies lately. It's like, like Joaquin Phoenix and, and Joker. Even yeah. if it's a bad movie, like, a guy can still bring it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It, uh, that does a good point, though, that a lot of it also does come down to the writing and I think a good balance of Bruce and Batman characteristics here, which, which as you said, like, that's a really good, strong component for uh, Adam West here. And that was that is something he, that shines a bit more, like all of his Bruce scenes, I think, are, are stronger components. Uh, that they, they make this movie better, I think, uh, despite a lot of the other uh, failings in, in other areas or fallacies. How do you feel about Michael Keaton? This is probably the only time I'm going to ask about Michael Keaton. <laughs> I like Michael Keaton. I like Michael Keaton, but he's a better Bruce Wayne than a Batman, I think Agreed. is the big thing. Which and which I, I love to see. I want more Bruce Wayne in Batman movies. Uh, so I love that. But uh, and, and maybe in Christmas time, we'll talk about Batman Returns and have you on for that. <laughs> You're jumbotroning me again. You jumbotroned <laughs> me twice. Twice in one. <laughs> Dang. Uh we might as well just finish this off. Who 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 are the other Batmans? Uh Clooney's bad. Fuck him, he's garbage. Val Kilmer's great. Val Kilmer. I like Val Kilmer. I, I can't recall that one honestly. Like sometime I should sit down and watch the Schumacher Batmans and like judge with my adult brain if they are truly as bad as I remember. I I remember watching at least uh the uh, I think it's Batman Forever with Mr. Freeze. Is that that one? That's uh, Batman, the, and Robin, Batman and Robin. Uh, yeah. Batman and Robin. Yeah, that's the one I meant. See, again, they're they're the same to me. But the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze, I remember a lot, and I I had a great affection for Mr. Freeze because of that. And I would love to so see many ice puns. Yeah, and this thing he would have fit well in Adam. Was I mean, I guess that's one of the things is like I guess we didn't talk historically. Historically speaking, the reason why people started yearning for a gritty Batman and started disliking Adam West Batman was because of the Schumacher films. Yeah. Uh, both Forever and Batman and Robin um, are both sort of tributes to this, and you can see it in Jim Carrey's Riddler. You can see it in Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze or uh, Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy. And but it's... they are missing something very important. And even I don't know what it is other I... than the fact that it's clearly incompetent <laughs> i think i think it's the self-awareness is the big thing it's missing like for for all intents and purposes i think joel schumacher should have been the perfect person to kind of pick up the mantle of that and do that that kind of version but uh th there is a distinct self-awareness that is missing from his films that even here in in, in this film uh, the 1966 batman uh, is, is very clear. Like they know it's ridiculous, stupid, dumb comic booky stuff, and they play into that like to to an inordinate degree at times. I like the I like the Schumacher ones. So I'll go on the record and say that <laughs> I find them very pleasant. I put Batman and Robin on often to annoy my wife. It's her least favorite movie of all time. She thinks it's atrocious and. She doesn't respect my reasons for liking it, but that's why I annoy her, annoy her with so it. So that's Calvin's hot take. David, what's your hot take? Uh, my my hot take is that uh, I still don't like Mulholland Drive, despite not having seen oh, it. Fuck since. sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have a David Lynch shrine in my closet. <laughs> if I did, it would probably look like a giant sperm baby or something. <laughs> but... Uh, Sure. <laughs> I don't hate you, David, for your hot takes. That's that's good, because uh, there's a lot of them, so <laughs> I'll, I'll have to save some for when I come on to your show in a couple weeks or whenever that is. You know what? It's time to Jumbotron you. <laughs> I have to Jumbotron you now. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know what game to give you that Pablo's wouldn't be mad at me for. <laughs> Never mind. Pablo's will get too mad. Forget okay. We'll, we'll hash it out. We'll hash it out. I'll come back, even though I haven't even gone through my trial run yet, and you haven't decided if you hate me enough to bring me back. <laughs> I'll just edit out all these suggestions because I don't want to do them either. So I think we're all good. <laughs> well, thanks again, uh, bro, for for coming on again. I think we missed you quite uh, desperately, and this was a very serendipitous uh, coming together to talk about Batman again. Hopefully, the next time we bring you on is not batman related maybe so we pigeonholed you a little less but uh you know we'll we'll see uh depends on how how much i want to jumbotron you again uh, no problem and thanks for having me guys uh i will i will david i will see you when we do the bmx triple x uh, video <laughs> game 
<laughs> for the PlayStation 2 on Daydreaming Cast. Have a good day, everyone. <laughs> now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Thank you.